Welcome to another episode of Yoga for the Revolution, a podcast about self-care in the age of resistance. Today, I am once again straying a little bit from the self part of self-care to just plain old care because it's all connected and we need to talk about it. In light of the hatred in Charlottesville, as well as the devastation left by Hurricane Harvey in Houston and other areas in its wake, we're seeing something that we often see when tragedy strikes, and that is uh, public statements of thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers abound on social media. We have Facebook filters that show our solidarity, and we all offer our thoughts and prayers. And at least in my social feed, in the last six months or so, I have actually been seeing fewer thoughts and prayers and more here's how to help. And that's what I want to talk about today, which is action. Thoughts and prayers are actually a lot like love and light. So love and light is something that I hear a lot in yoga circles. And they're both really beautiful messages that are often backed up by zilch. So you know, I run in some yoga circles and love and light is a really common phrase. It's super common email sign off. Sometimes it's love and light. Sometimes it's quote unquote only love. So I don't know, no light from those folks. And there's nothing wrong with love and light. I love love and light. I don't think I've ever ended an email with it, but you know, to each their own. Some people are genuinely sending love and they are genuinely acknowledging the light in all beings. I do need to pause to note that. I'm not here to make fun of yogis and chastise anyone for their loving demeanor and their beautiful intention to send light into the world because we need that. For those who are really doing that work, we need it. The reason why I've never signed an email that way is that just for me, it feels inauthentic. I mean, it's not that I'd sign off with, you know, hate and darkness either, but it never quite jibed with me. Sometimes, you know, I'm just ordering seamless or something. And it's not that I don't want the person reading the email to feel loved. I do, of course. But in any case, for me, it was never something that felt on point. And for some people, it does. I know people who actually send love, like their real, true core of their heart love with every message. And so when they say love and light or only love, I can feel that. Fair enough. But that's not true for everyone. Sometimes people just say it. So where does that come from that instinct or the impetus to maybe stay safe wherever you are and send out light from that safe place. So I'm going to read you a little bit about the yoga sutras. There's a yoga sutra and I have it listed here. I'll link to it in the show notes because anytime I talk about the yoga sutras, it's not that I've done an in-depth hundreds of hours of study of the sutras. I learn what I learn by reading, reading translations from other people and from my teachers. Uh, this translation is by Swami Satchitananda, and he founded Integral Yoga. And he's translating one sutra as saying, by cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard toward the wicked, the mind stuff 
retains its undisturbed calmness. So the intention of this sutra is to set out a framework to keep the mind calm and focused and not disturbed by outside distractions. The mind has a tendency to be outwardly directed, right? We have all these senses and they're taking in information and we see and smell and hear and are pulled in all of those directions. And as a yogi, one of our central goals is to remain focused and maintain an equilibrium. And if we're looking for that equilibrium, it makes sense to refrain from distraction so we're not always reacting from a place of unbalance. I'll read that again, though. By cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy, compassion for the unhappy, delight in the virtuous, and disregard toward the wicked, the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness. Okay, see, this is the key for me. Disregard the wicked, and the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness. So we try not to disturb the mind stuff by ignoring the wicked, but that's a disservice. It's a problem and it's a loophole. It's an emotional loophole. If my goal as a yogi is to cultivate peace in the mind, then I must stay still. I must simply send my light and love and remain here with my eyes and ears closed. And what I am suggesting is that that's a cop-out for those of us who really live truly in the world. We as humans, all of us, have a tendency to send thoughts and prayers from a distance. And that comes either from a lack of strength or an abundance of fear, whether we know it or not. Some people, politicians do it all the time, say that thoughts and prayers are going out to the victims and they tweet it and then go about their day, whatever that might include, eating donuts and robbing children of vital health care or whatever. It's the lip service that I'm taking issue with. We've talked about before how sometimes in the yoga community, or I'll even say broaden it to say the spiritual community, they can keep an issue at arm's length by propagating this kind of protective bubble of good vibes only. And some folks will live in a special land where they do not get into the dirt of other people suffering. And we have a whole industry, a self-care industry, and a self focused spiritual industry that is about digging in to your own dirt or digging into your own suffering, perhaps, I opine, at the cost of being aware of the world around you. There is uh, this tendency to go inward so much. We are such a navel-gazing society, especially in the wellness world or in the spiritual community some aspects of the spiritual community, obviously not everybody, but this tendency to go in and ignore what's going on around us, to to disregard the wicked, is really justified by this insistence of, you know, a Pinterest quote that we shouldn't let other people bring us down, that poisonous people are out to take our peace, that we should stay away from negative people and we should never, under any circumstances, let anyone dull or sparkle. Now, I would hate for anyone's sparkle to get dulled, but you know, could you lend a hand? Because there's some shit going down lately. I have a hard time with the insistence and the trajectory of a wellness world that is only focused on self-preservation and self-care to the detriment of our fellow humans. 
And part of the reason why that resonates so deeply with me is because that is the world I have been a part of. So please don't misunderstand that I've been digging in the dirt and helping people out my whole life because I've kind of not been doing that. I've just been what I would call a regular person. So part of this passion comes from a place of newly discovered responsibility. Sometimes sending love and light can be a default setting. It can be self-protection or a self-defense mechanism. And I get that. There's a fine line between staying sane and ignoring reality, which is its own form of delusion. But it's one I'd invite all of us to look at. Are you sending thoughts and prayers, but at the same time keeping your distance? How involved do you need to get in an issue to really be walking the walk? Is sending money enough? Is posting links on Facebook where other people can send their money enough? I can't answer that for you. That's a question and questions like that that I've been asking myself. What does it mean to really help, to really speak out, to really do the work? You need to ask the question of your own self. There's a piece I read recently. It's called Six Ways Spiritual Thinking Can Reinforce Oppression and Racism. Bummer of a title, guys. So much of a bummer. It's written by Virginia Rosenberg, and I'll link to that in the show notes so you can dive in and enjoy. She writes about how sending love and light or thoughts and prayers can be an act of distancing oneself. And this, I think, is an interesting way to think about it. This is a quote from that piece. If your next door neighbor was starving to death and you were aware of it and had agency to make a difference in their fate, would you choose to avoid their house and send love and light from the comfort of your bedroom. When we have agency to make a difference, it's our responsibility to use it as effectively as possible instead of praying from afar. So yes, pray, yes, cultivate compassion, and then let action be your prayers. It feels like a good time to recall the idea of engaged Buddhism. There are something called the 14 precepts of engaged Buddhism. This is something I'm just starting to read about and learn about and look into, and I'll link to resources in the show notes so that you can do some of your own investigation into this. But these precepts are principles, not dissimilar to the yamas and the niyamas, the restraints and observances offered by the eight-limbed path of yoga. And I'll quote here from Fred Epsteiner from lionsroar.com. Lions Roar is a website dedicated to Buddhist wisdom for our time. He describes them this way, that the 14 precepts or guidelines for anyone wishing to live mindfully. By developing peace and serenity through ethical and conscientious living, we can help our society make the transition from one based on greed and consumerism to one in which thoughtfulness and compassionate action are of the deepest value. So where did these principles come from? Thich Nhat Hanh, we've talked about a little bit before, He's a Vietnamese monk, and he helped to develop these principles in the mid-60s during the Vietnam War. And at that time, it was felt that the teachings of the Buddha were especially relevant and needed to face and really to fight the hatred and violence that was going on in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And I find these particularly relevant now when we're facing so much divisiveness and violence here in the U.S., There are, as mentioned, 14 of these guidelines, and I'm only going to really mention a couple here as they relate to all of this love and light stuff we're talking about. This one happens to be number four. 
Do not avoid contact with suffering or close your eyes before suffering. Do not lose awareness of the existence of suffering in the life of the world. Find ways to be with those who are suffering, including personal contact, visits, images, and sounds. By such means, awaken yourself and others to the reality of suffering in the world. Okay, so here's something I need to learn from. And somewhere, I imagine we could all find a balance. Some people really like dive into the nitty gritty and get miserable and kind of thrive on that misery, but then don't convert any of that to action. And some people ignore it altogether. I tend to steer clear of disturbing images on the news. I still haven't watched the Vice video about Charlottesville. Everyone tells me it's key. It's important. I need to watch it. It's okay to be uncomfortable. I should watch it. And yet I've not watched it. I've been reading accounts of what happened. I've been engaging in conversation and some uncomfortable conversation at that, but I have been avoiding those images. So is this okay? Is it an understandable method of self-care, self-preservation, or is it a way that I'm closing my eyes to suffering and avoiding the reality of what's going on in an attempt to protect myself from having to take further action? I don't know. It's a good question. Another precept, this one is number 12, do not kill. Okay, that should be a no-brainer, but here's the next part of that. Do not let others kill. Sure, seems easy enough, but, and here's the last part, find whatever means possible to protect life and prevent war. Find whatever means possible to protect life and prevent war. Are we doing that? Are we, though? I'm not sitting next door to my neighbor who's starving to death and sending love and light. Not literally. And I know you aren't either. I mean, I don't think I am. Honestly, I haven't seen my neighbors for like days. But what I am doing is committing myself to looking at my good wishes to see if they are just wishes or if I can turn them into action. And I'm inviting you guys to do the same. Am I a paragon of action? No, I'm relatively action averse in life for the most part. So let's all look at our actions. It is almost very literally the least we can do. Thank you for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. If you're not already subscribed, you can do that on iTunes slash Apple Podcast. And you can make fun of me for not knowing if those are the same thing or if they're different. I've given up on Apple. I don't understand why they're doing this to me. We're also on Google Play, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Please do rate the podcast on the aforementioned Apple iTunes or wherever, because that would be nice. And you can always find back episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. You can talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yogafortherevolution, or follow on Twitter at y underscore f underscore T underscore R and on Instagram at yoga for the revolution where I have as of late been showing off the new shirts. You can pick one up at yoga for the revolution Reach out and say something or ask questions about yoga or meditation. 
I'll be really happy to hear from you. And don't forget that if you go to yogafortherevolution.org for every episode, I do have show notes. And more and more lately, I've been linking to resources there because I'm trying to include other voices and the resources that I'm using in order to put these little talks together. So take a look at those and I invite you, I invite all of us to look at the next week. Every time you are tempted to click like on Facebook on a post that says something about the horrible things happening in this country, whether it's a natural disaster or a man-made one, notice when you give $20 or you text to your Congress people or, you know, whatever action you're taking, notice how safe that action is or how comfortable or how uncomfortable. And I'm not inviting you to do anything I'm not doing. I'm committing to at least looking at those choices, trying to observe what is normal and easy and safe for me to do, and then observe what might be an extra step beyond that? What might be an extra step beyond what is normal and safe and easy and comfortable for me to do that may actually help someone else more? Because to be perfectly honest, tweeting that you hope something gets better isn't enough. If you are at home and you are praying and you are meditating and that is your form of action, that's good. Look at it. See if there can be more. See if there's one more step outside the comfort zone that you can take that might help even more. In the meantime, keep breathing and live to fight another day. Bye.